Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. All right, I'm back. This is the Investor Coaching Show. Paul Winkler. Yeah, so um, interesting news this week, of course. A lot of uh, crazy things still happening over overseas, and that, that news will continue. Uh, but there is there are some signs that profits are making a comeback. Now, when I talk about owning stocks, uh, what do we own? When we own companies, we own the rights to the profits. Now, we own the assets of the companies. You know, so often people will ask me about real estate investing. I'll go, well, you know, real estate is an asset category. But when I own stocks, I already have a large exposure to real estate. So I don't necessarily get excited about owning more real estate. In fact, you know, that was, that was a topic of conversation. One of the meetings this week that I was having with somebody, we were just rapping about things. And, you know, people are talking about what is happening over in Israel, talking about the open border and talking about sleeper cells and things like that. And there was a lot of conversation about that sleeper cells. And one of the things that I was making comment about to this person was, well, you know, you think about this. I'm going to, I'm going to put this in a whole different light. You know, we have sleeper cells and let's say that you happen to be investing in real estate in a city that's kind of hot, you know, a lot of people coming to it, a lot of people excited about it, a lot of people moving to Nashville, for example. And then all of a sudden it's discovered that you have sleeper cells in your, where, you know, in, in the area, let's say. And then all of a sudden something tragic happens. And then people are like, you know, I want out of here. Then what happens to real estate values? They drop like crazy. And if you are overexposed to that particular asset category, you're not diversified, you know, let's say worldwide, then, you know, or nationwide at least, then you have a problem on your hands. Yeah, you know, so that's one of those things that you know we talk about all the time because there are different things that we can invest in, uh, but recognize that there are risks when you don't diversify. There really are, and they it'll be something that you never think about, you know, that doesn't really cross your mind, and then all of a sudden it happens, and you can't get out. You can't you can't escape from it. But you know, in general. When we own stocks and we have an investment portfolio, that's there for protection against inflation. As you always hear me say, what's inflation? Price is going up. You can probably recite this if you listen to this show for a while. Who's raising prices? Companies. What do I own when I own stock? I own the entities raising prices. Okay. Now, what happens is that when you have inflation... And, you know, we, we may say, and I've, I've said this many times before, you might have inflation starts to kick up. It doesn't mean the stocks will go up right away. There may be a lag. There may be a situation where nobody wants to be the first entity or company in a particular area to raise prices first. I don't want to raise prices. So I don't want to be the first person to raise prices because if I do, then all of a sudden my competitor will keep prices where they are and then I lose market share. You know, so there's a risk of that. And so some, sometimes what happens when inflation 
first rears its ugly head when you have higher inflation rates than what we really desire. Typically, you hear about a target of, of 2% is what the Fed target is for inflation. Having just a little bit of inflation, because if you have too much, then what happens is you have that scenario that I was talking about right there. And then people start to buy things right now because they're worried that they're going to be way the heck more expensive down the road. Then when they buy it now, that creates more demand and that creates more need for labor, which creates more of an inflationary protect, uh, pressure. So what happens is we got to, it's a delicate, delicate balancing act. So that's why it's so challenging. I mean, good grief. So what happens with these profits is that sometimes they lag or there's not so much of a profit growth at first. And the reason there's not much profit growth is because nobody wants to be the pers first person to raise prices. You may actually suck it up and take uh, less profit. You know, maybe your expenses as a company have gone up, but you're not charging more for your product. And that starts to squeeze those two things. Okay. So what's happening here is in what the Wall Street Journal is saying is that profits are making a comeback. That uh, what is happening right now, the U.S. economy has been steady and you have a strong job market, which wasn't necessarily expected, but U.S. consumers are able to keep up their spending. And what they're doing is they're reallocating more of their spending towards services and away from goods. Now, this goes back to in economics. Typically, what you do as a household, let's say, is you tend to spend more on services when things feel better. You might hire somebody to cut the grass where maybe you did it yourself before. You may hire somebody to fix your car where you did it yourself before. You may hire somebody to paint your house or whatever. And what happens is we tend to get wealthier as a family. We tend to get more services and fewer uh, manufactured goods. And that's the same thing with nations. You know, nations tend to out, you know, they will outsource those other things, those lower uh, lower economic activities to other countries. Now, sometimes you can, we can bite you in the back if you do it too much. As you know, you hear people say, hey, let's bring manufacturing back. And you go, well, some manufacturing is okay, bring back some, not so much. And what happens is you end up with not trading at other countries that you can do things a lot better. You think about it, why is it that certain countries like India uh, are growing so much as a manufacturing used to be China was always talked about right now. It's moving more to India. And the reason being is that we're not in such friendly terms with China right now. And we're, you know, really having to watch it as far as trading more with them, but we're starting to move manu manufacturing. A lot of it's moving to India and other countries like that. And the reason being is that you can have your input costs lower. And that way, what happens is you save more or you spend less on things here in the United States, which frees up discretionary income to buy other stuff that you want to buy. That's just that's how economics works, right? That's why good, strong trade with other countries has always been a decent idea. You know, it's kind of just like you. Let's say, I don't, let's say that you're a dentist and you do dental work. Well, it's probably not it's probably not a great idea for you to be your own auto mechanic either because you're not great at it and somebody else can do it cheaper and your time is better spent doing dental work, right? It's the same thing with trade with other countries. It's just how it works. 
Well, what has been happening is that America has been reallocating more and more spending towards services. And then what has been happening is because of that, companies getting wealthier, earnings have been going up as a result. And that is when I talk about inflation protections, and then you'll also see that companies are starting to relax a little bit more and they're able to raise prices because they're not worried about losing market share anymore. So I thought that was interesting because it was one of the things I talked about. I said, yep, at the beginning, this is what happens. But later on, you know, mark my words, you know, we don't pay $3,000 for cars anymore. Like in the 1970s, eventually car companies with inflation had to raise their prices. You're, if you're going to survive, you got to do it. And little by little, they may not be fast to do it, but eventually they do raise prices. Um, other news. A Bitcoin, according to uh, MarketWatch, Bitcoin, I love this article. Bitcoin is undervalued now. <laughs> That's what they wrote. I, I read this to the to the, all the different uh, folks that run the offices around Nashville uh, for us. And uh, and they were like, oh, they're rolling their eyes. Oh, Paul, you got to be kidding me. And I said, no, no, listen, to this. Bitcoin's undervalued now. And I says, but if you look at the projected long term return, I thought it was funny because everyone's talking about you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Oh my goodness. You know, cryptocurrencies and all of that stuff as an investment. And I'm like, no, 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 no. There's no cost of capital. An investment to be an investment has to have a cost of capital. Somebody's paying to use your money, whether it be interest, rents, profits, whatever. They're paying to use your money. Well, I love this one. They says, um, the prediction for the fair market value or fair value model that is based on something called Metcalfe's law According to this, they're looking at the proposed or expected annualized return of Bitcoin going forward. You ready for this? 1.1%. <laughs> oh, wow. That's not too good. 1.1%. <laughs> so, you know, people that have asked me about that, who knows if that'll, that'll come true and that's, that's what it ends up being, but I thought that was just funny. Uh, another thing was uh, written... Uh, there was um, this guy that uh, Swedro writes uh, some things for advisor prospectus from time to time. And I, and I he caught my attention that he wrote an article called Buffett was right about sentiment and the VIX as predictors of returns. Now, Warren Buffett, well known, you know, we talk about him in, as a, a stock picker, but he's always one of these guys I said cheated. <laughs> he would buy a company, but he'd get it on the board of directors and he would turn the company around. He was known as a value investor. And you've heard me talk about value investing before. Value companies, we buy ugly houses. You know, that's what a value company is. It's a company that maybe have a low price compared to the assets. Uh, but he says uh, in here, he says, 2004 letter to Berkshire uh, shareholders. So, you know, and this is something I've talked about. I've, I've talked about this particular letter as well over the years, a long time ago that he wrote this. He talked about people trying to invest based on what they thought the market was going to do. Their participation in equities or stocks would be that he said, be fearful when other people are greedy and greedy when other people are fearful. You know, when people are getting excited about the stock market and they think, oh, this is going to be roaring, this is going to be great, we're going to get great returns, that's when you, you get nervous, is what Buffett said. When people are fearful and they're kind of scared and they're not sure what to do, that's when he said you get greedy. And you, can, and you just look, for, you look at it and say, wow, what, what does that mean? It just means that investors are really bad at figuring out where markets are going to go. They're terrible at it. Uh, they tend to buy after markets have gone up. They tend to sell after markets have gone down. 
you know, so they sell low and they buy high. And he says, you know, there's there's a study, 2012 study, Global Local and Contagious Investor Sentiment, Contagious Investor Sentiment, let me say it slower. And another article, the short of it, Investor Sentiment and Anomalies, that was a 2020 study. And there's another study, Investor Sentiment, uh, predicting the overvalued stock market and a September 2022 study, a new firm level investor sentiment. They found that investor sentiment played a significant role in market volatility, generating predictably consistent with correction of investor overreaction. And in essence, what he's saying is that when you have high investor sentiment, uh, you had low future returns. Now, that doesn't mean that when people are excited about the stock market that necessarily the market's going to go down in the future and you can use it as a predictor of market direction. All it means is that expected returns in the future may come down. And why is that? It's because when I am excited about the stock market, I perceive that there's less risk. When I perceive there is less risk and it doesn't look like that risky of a bet, what will happen is returns should be less in the future. It's an age-old thing. Risk and return are related. Nothing new here, but more evidence that what I've talked about for over 20 years on this show is actually still happening. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.